Hey, welcome back to my YouTube channel and our seminar series on fractal symmetries, asymmetries, control, technology, and good old paranormal events. So, welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. So glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. We want to talk today about what are fractals. This is going to be very brief, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Fractal geometry is the subject that I got involved with decades ago, almost in prehistory, back in graduate school before I even knew about all these subjects of UFOs, remote viewing, crop circles, and psychokinesis, all this cool stuff, cryptozoology and all these things. Uh, I started with fractals and Fractal geometry is really a fascinating subject. Fractals are all around us. Fractals are the way nature builds things. It's a function of growth patterns. It's how nature gets in a large amount of surface area in a given volume, a finite volume. It's how plants collect a lot of light and trees and living things expand. Fractals are in mountain ranges, clouds, and in our bronchial structure, our arterial cardiovascular system, and fractals are also in patterns of time. If we look at the way our heart beats, it doesn't beat in a regular pattern. It beats in a fractal pattern of lots of little changes and some larger changes. And the key to all of this is self-similarity. Self-similar patterns are those that they look the same at a small scale and at a large scale, right? And so you can imagine a tree, just take a look outside your window if you're in an area, hopefully you have some trees there, you can see a large trunk and then branching structures and smaller branches and then those branches branch out to leaves. And if we look at the leaves, we see veins and smaller and smaller structures. And that is a self-similar fractal pattern. It's just like the poem that Alan Watts loved to talk about. Uh, smaller fleas, bigger fleas have smaller fleas on their backs to bite them. And smaller fleas have even wincier teas, fleas, and so on infinitum. It's the idea that there's this never ending uh, level of detail and the more you look with your microscope the more detail you're going to see that looks very similar in shape or pattern in time to the larger structure and uh, there are a number of really good books about fractals these are this is one of them the science of fractal images that sort of got me going years ago another one was Michael Barnsley's fractals everywhere they're also in patterns of music if we look at music there's a certain ratio between any sort of music that you look at on planet Earth, at least. Maybe it's different in other parts of the solar system, but you know, there's a certain pattern of bass notes and more changes in the mid-range and even more changes at the higher frequencies, and that's a fractal ratio. It's a fractal pattern of self-similarity. It's called the one over F spectrum. So why does all this matter? It matters because the way nature works is not according to lines for the most part. Nature builds things around fractal patterns. And yes, at some scales, you can see things that are non-fractal, like crystals. Crystals could have a non-fractal pattern because they're very flat and very linear. 
at a micro scale. But for the most part, anything that nature builds at a larger scale is built around these fractal patterns and these fractal uh, structures. And the reason it matters is modern people, us, seem to like to flatten the fractals. We like to reduce the fractals, as uh, Nassim Taleb calls it, fractal reduction. I've always called it fractal flattening, but whatever you want to call it, it's the same idea. We like to take these fractured, sort of chaotic, uh, non-linear, non-Euclidean patterns that kind of are not easily fittable into a box, and we like to flatten them, make them square, perfect circles, these uh, Euclidean, Pythagorean sort of shapes that are very even and very regular. And perhaps that's how humans, starting with the Greeks, imagined were these perfect shapes. Uh, we've imagined that these are perfect shapes because they're very even and very linear and very easy to calculate. But that's not how nature designs things. And the issue arises here when we impose our linear, rational, reductionist, mechanistic view onto nature to insist that it fit the patterns in our minds. In essence, we're attempting to put reality in a box. That's why our good friend Ingo Swan wrote this book called Reality Boxes. We're attempting to fit a worldview onto a universe or even a multiverse that doesn't work that way. There's something called the self-similar cosmological model, which a physicist pointed out to me on this YouTube channel uh, about a year or so ago. And he made the argument, which I've looked into, it has a lot of credibility, that we find these fractals at many different scales. We find it at the quantum scale, we find it at the atomic scale, and we find it even at the largest galactic scales of ratios of sizes of galaxies to clusters of galaxies and orbits and so forth. We find these self-similar repeating fractal patterns everywhere, fractals everywhere. So what's the drawback of fractal flattening? Well, this is what happens. When you take a complex system and you try to reduce it to a simpler system or even a monoculture because your industrial capitalist mindset wants to extract all of the resources from that system and create so-called efficiencies, you're reducing the complexity of the system and you're losing information. And you know there are many examples of this all around us. We can see in roadways where we build roadways and we take bumpy uh, fractal surfaces and kind of flatten them for our cars. We can see it in um, energy and engineering processes where we want to take something that would ignite all at once and we want to kind of uh, create a very even uh, fuel conversion process like in an automobile so it's very linear and controllable kind of we want the control and then it can happen in um, other instances like we take natural processes like rivers and we want to dam them and turn them into very even controllable systems well what's the drawback there in every single case we're reducing the complexity of the system and simplifying it uh, in the case of rivers we're reducing the numbers of fish species of fish in that river, of wildlife, sediment, uh, deposition, and so forth. Um, roadways, we frag uh, fragment habitats of animals, and we create surfaces that water can run over very easily, as I saw here in Boulder in the 2013 flood, where that water just seemed to love to run over those roadways right into your house <laughs> and your driveway. Um, and then there are other processes whereby you're going to create radical discontinuities and surprise 
because you flattened the whole system and you tried to control it, you tried to turn something that was nonlinear and chaotic. And chaos theory is basically the idea that a small change here can create a large change over here. The so-called butterfly effect it originally uh, was created by this idea that even in predicting weather, a small butterfly flapping its wings over the Amazon can affect the weather of the whole planet. Well, maybe not literally, but in general, that's the idea. So when you create fractal flattening, you increase the probability that you're going to get these chaotic effects and that small changes are going to turn into larger changes. Basically, you're amplifying chaos. So the net result is you get to control one system over here by putting in your dams and your roadways, but over here you're getting floods and forest fires and other effects that are directly due to your insistence on turning this area into something linear and flat. Um, so you get surprises and radical discontinuities from these fractal flattened systems and you get loss of information like we can see happens in monocultures where we take large areas of the planet and instead of taking, uh, allowing all the different plants to grow there or the kind of combination of plants, we insist on having one species of corn or wheat or soybeans over acres and acres and acres and you reduce the genetic uh, complexity of the uh, area as a whole, which reduces the number of species that are related to those other plants and so forth and you have a gradual decline in the genetic diversity of that area and you end up with monocultures but we'll talk about that in subsequent videos but the example of that being uh, in the United States there used to be I believe I read there used to be uh, nearly a hundred different types of apples that were available and now there's just like three or four so you go from a complexity to a monoculture and it, that can be very disastrous. Just look in the case of the banana plant, the Cavendish banana, which is so genetically similar that there is this virus that scientists are working against to beat the clock before this virus kills all the bananas because they're all exactly the same. And that is the drawback of fractal flattening complexity reduction. Fractal reduction is these systems become more vulnerable to uh, chaos to change to discontinuities. Um, uh, this issue has come up in so many different ways, but let's just look at three examples right here. Um, first, take the example of forest fires. We had some of those here in the United States just very recently in California, a real tragedy um, where apparently power lines from the power company in Northern California, they were due to be worked on and they hadn't been taken care of yet, according to a friend who lives in that area uh, in Chico, California, right near where the fires were, uh, some of the fires. And um, just a few small sparks led to ignition of fires and it spread as we saw throughout the entire state. Uh, well, why does it happen? It's because in the olden days, we used to have lots of little fires here and there that would just start naturally from lightning and from heat and from other sources. And the Native Americans, even when they were the dominant culture here, would light their own fires just to change uh, the forests and to change the landscape and encourage growth. Um, well, having lots of little fires means 
that things burn out and you don't have a lot of brush on the ground. But when you suppress forest fires for a long time, like perhaps a hundred years because it's not popular to have fires around, no one likes fires around their homes, now you have a whole century of brush that's built up. So the next time that there is a fire, it's going to be a huge fire. So that's a perfect example of the way trying to control something in the short term leads to long-term surprise. And this is basically true anywhere you try to control these little short-term uh, bursts. I think you can kind of see that. So controlling things in the short term leads to loss in control in the long term. Another example, back in 1989, I worked at a uh, scientific research institute near Vienna, Austria, YASA Institute for um, Applied Systems Analysis. And I worked right next to a lot of East Germans and Russians and other folks from the East Bloc. They're very good scientists. Uh, some of them were scientists. Some of them appear to have been there to be uh, doing other things. But in any case, not one of them saw the fall of the Berlin Wall coming and the end of the Soviet Union. I was there just five months before the Berlin Wall came down. And when it came down that night in December 89, uh, it's a perfect example of this kind of chaos resulting from excessive control. You know, the East Germans had been wanting to meet up with their relatives on the other side of Berlin and West Germany for, uh, uh, for decades at that point. And, um, uh, it appeared that an Italian radio broadcast that had said that East Germans were being allowed to go through to the other side into West Berlin, it was not true, not factually true at that time, but it didn't matter. It just ignited this enthusiasm for people to want to go across to the wall. Millions of people had converged on the wall and there weren't enough guards to hold them back and uh, the East German leadership had to just make a decision that they were just gonna let them through and that was the end of East Germany. It just happened just like that, but nobody saw it coming. But that's after decades of control of, you know, walls and barbed wire, machine gun towers and guard dogs. I went through to East Berlin before the wall was down. I remember what it was like and also Hungary, Czechoslovakia. So that's a kind of example of excessive control leading to unexpected events. And now a third example, before we sum it up here, is uh, microbiome. You know, this the little organisms that live in our bodies, on our skin, in our mouths, intestinal tract, thousands and thousands of different species uh, that many of them don't even have names yet. Do we think about the effect on them when we have foods and antibiotics and medication and so forth? Until recently, not very much. And these little microorganisms outnumber our own cells by 10 to 1. There are trillions of them in our body. They uh, don't outnumber us by weight, but they outnumber us by number because they're tiny and small. They're little fractal creatures that are packed in between ourselves and in the various parts of our body where they do a lot of things for us. And at a minimum, they just keep out the bad guys. They're neutral, uh, which means they take up space that could be uh, occupied by uh, more uh, aggressive microorganisms like MRSA or staph or something like this. So uh, the microbiome is a really hot topic in science right now. And it's another example why you can have this fractal complexity, but when you take something like antibiotics or chemical additives in food, it can affect your microbiome in ways that you didn't expect 
and you can end up having diseases as a result of altering the ratio and number of these microorganisms within your body without even having thought about it. So while one hand, on one hand, antibiotics looked like a great invention for a long time, uh, they ended up creating superbugs that evolved much faster than uh, the development of antibiotics. And now many of these superbugs, there are very few, if none, antibiotics that are effective against them. So if you do get one of these infections, there's not much you can do about it because the bugs evolved, the microorganisms evolved uh, very quickly and much faster than anyone imagined. And they got what we call, you know, called super resistance. So in these three examples, you can see why attempting to have a kind of large scale immediate control over a system leads to unexpected political, environmental or biological effects. And that's really just what I want to uh, explain in this particular video is nature has this kind of inherent fractal complexity. And we often think we know better using these reductionist mechanistic types of assumptions and ideas. And we try attempt to control these systems. And then there are these outbursts, these surprises, revolutions, rebellions that just happen suddenly because of this excessive control and this reduction in fractal complexity. And then the second effect is loss of information. Systems that are naturally complex have a lot of information in them, a lot of energy information, lots of relationships. And when you attempt to simplify those, unexpected things happen and you end up losing information. You may have a lot of short-term information like all the texts that you get, and of course that I get too and emails and notifications. But have you ever wondered whether paying attention to all those emails and texts and notifications and everything else that comes across your phone, your tablet and your other screens in your life are distracting you from other longer term projects that you need to be paying attention to that are going to create more value in your life in the long run. Sort of a kind of an attention drain or uh, a loss of balance between short-term and longer-term information. Of course, if we don't pay attention to the long-term, we, we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to know where we're going. And that's also a type of fractal flattening. It's something I actually did my dissertation on with respect to newspaper articles, New York Times articles. And what I found was that articles written a century ago had a broader time frame and a kind of a larger perspective than modern uh, articles, which are oriented more towards the short term, the immediate and the transient. So those are some of the effects of taking fractal systems and imposing our worldview, trying to make them flat, linear, controlled. It actually gets a little worse than that because we'll, as we'll see in subsequent videos here on this channel, we're attempting to describe the universe according to these principles too. And if it's more complex than that, it's going to be a futile attempt to explain away all these phenomena that we look at at these on this channel with a uh, linear mindset with which it won't fit. So what I want to sort of describe to you is the idea that the fractal complexity is spread out around us and we're the ones that are attempting to put it in a box and that there's lots of consequences to that. So. Anyway, thanks for watching, and we will see you in the next video. Take care for now, and bye.